0: Welcome to the Bubble Lounge. This is Martha Jackson. And I'm Nellie Shudo. So Nellie, when I first moved to the Park Cities, there was this book that came out that caused a huge amount of controversy. I loved it, and it scared me all at the same time. It's called Good Christian Bitches. It was written by (laughs) Kim Gatlin. And it's a fictitious story of this woman's life when she moved back to the Park Cities after living in California, and she got divorced.
1: Uh, It is one of the first books that I read when I moved here. You did? And I felt so comforted by it. And just for a little background on it, everybody out there, we all know – we women know Sex in the City, right? I mean, Patricia Field, the costume designer. Darren Starr produced the show. It really sort of shaped people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I think Kenneth Bushnell is one of the most talented writers on the planet. But I met Kim Gatlin, and after I had read her book, and the first thing I said to her was, oh, my God, I cannot believe you're in my house. You are like Candace Bushnell on steroids. And I meant it. (laughs) She's like, she's like funnier, like times 10 of a Candace Bushnell. And I just fell in love with her when I met her. And the book to me was something I needed to read because I felt so out of place. And it just helped me feel good about feeling out of place in the park cities.
0: Well, she really tells it like it is. And she doesn't hold back, which is what I really liked about it. And it could it should almost be required reading for when
1: you first move here. It should be and it makes you laugh at yourself too. Let's put it that way. Because you do realize we all fall into those categories. (laughs) Yes, everyone has their moments. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So when we come back, guys, we're going to have Kim Gatlin, author of Good Christian Bitches, on the show. If you're a fan of the Bubble Lounge, then we have a very special offer for you. Send us a text message to 313131 with the word bubble and join our exclusive community of Park City's moms. Every week we send you a link to the latest episode of the show. But that's not all. If you send a text right now, we will also send you a link to our private online membership website. Our membership site contains tons of helpful recommendations for women in the park cities. So whether you want to find something interesting for the kids, get recommendations for the best services, or just hang out online with other moms like you, our membership site is the perfect place. And best of all, it is free to join. So take out your phone and send a text to 313131 with the keyword bubble, that's B-U-B-B-L-E, and join us and your neighbors in the Bubble Lounge. Welcome back to the Bubble Lounge. We have today Kim Gatlin, one of my favorite writers in the world, and we are so excited to get started with all these questions we have for her. Kim, you are a girl who was born and raised in the bubble and then raised a family in the bubble. I did. And I'm assuming... That you've been writing since you were young, even in your head, right?
2: Not really. It's really funny. I was always a talker. I could always tell somebody off real <laughs> well. Or you know, if my friends had a problem, they'd call me and go, what do I say to them? You know, Or they'd have me write an email for them or whatever. I knew I had a real talent for it when Larry Gatlin had me write a letter to Isuzu when the brothers got kicked out of a golf tournament one time. And Larry didn't think anybody can write but him. You know, I thought, mm, I must really be onto something here. And my book started out as journaling. I was mm-hmm. journaling. And I just started laughing, the more and more ridiculous things that would happen during my divorce. The more that we gossip oriented, you know, the more I started telling my friends, I've got to change the names of these people in my journal, because if I get hit by a bus or something, they're going to die humiliation, you know. <laughs> and I was talking to a girlfriend one day, and she said, you know, I'm just floored by the behavior of some of these good Christian women. And I go, you mean good Christian bitches? And we both just died <laughs> laughing. And I was like, you know, I'm going to write a book one day and call it Good Christian Bitches. And of course, I didn't want to be one of those people who said they were going to write a book and didn't. So I did. <laughs>
1: okay. And speaking of that, because your mm-hmm. book and your show, your show was initially called Good Christian pitches it was and then they changed it how did that come about
2: all of a sudden, everybody's phone started blowing up going, did you do that? Did you do that? Because ABC just decided to call it Good Christian Bells and didn't approve that with anybody. And we all hated it. We all hated the name. And so they changed it to GCB. But I don't know who to credit that with because nobody would admit it once they realized everybody <laughs> <Yes>. hated it. <laughs> you know? I was like, I not do it. I don't know. Did you do it?
0: Well, it just doesn't get the point across at all.
2: Not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and the whole point was we all knew that person, but nobody was ever going to say it. You know, it was that thing that we all politely just didn't talk about, but everybody was acutely aware of it.
1: Yeah, it's so. a little bless your heartish. Oh, right? real bless, bless your,
2: your heartish, heart. And God love them. <laughs> yes, God, God love them and bless your heart.
0: <laughs> I, do, I do hear that term thrown around quite a bit in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When you hear bless her heart, she didn't
1: look good today. I mean, yeah. there's always there's always going to be a... Bless her heart, not... she
2: get dressed in the dark. Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was it like growing up in the bubble?
2: It was so different than it is now. It was funny because I always knew I wanted to raise my children here because it's so unusual in the sense that it's very Mayberry-esque, you know, kind of maybe on steroids because it's so unusual anymore to be able to have your children go to school with the people that they live next door to, you know, ride Mm -hmm. their bike to school with their friends that they play with on the weekends and in the afternoons. And I just knew that it was real ideal for raising a family. But even when I came back, when I was in school was the first year that they moved the sixth grade to the middle school. And that was Huge. I mean, you would not believe the outcry. Those kids are too young to be around. Those children that are older, that's inappropriate. We really shouldn't do this whole middle school thing. Well, then by the time I got back, they had the fifth grade yes. at the middle school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you've got one of each, a boy and a girl, you appreciate the fact that they don't want them wearing the shorts that their butt cheek hangs out the back <laughs> yes. of. It. You have a boy that's in sixth grade looking at that going, really? <laughs>
1: yes. I went to a friend's 14-year-old birthday party for her daughter, and they had it at the Lumen Hotel, and it was like disco night. It was an amazing party. It was a party. bash, yeah. It was a total bash, and the parents were sitting outside drinking, and then the kids were all in there. And it looked like a wedding. No right. joke. And the funny thing to me was the distinction between the boys and the girls. So the boys were all dressed, like you're talking about, Mayberry-ish, and mm-hmm. they were all super preppy. Mm-hmm. And the girls were all wearing, they looked like they were in Pretty Woman. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost <laughs> had <laughs> <heard> <laughs> a heart attack. I was like, <gasps> oh, my God. And, Don't bend over. <laughs> and again, these are 14-year-olds, right? Uh-huh. With thigh-high boots and little tiny shorts. Stilettos. I <laughs> uh-huh. Get it, oh,
2: and the want their mom had their hair and makeup done that day of course. to the of course tune of five hundred dollars. Yes, know, so. <laughs> yeah, of
0: course they did. So, Kim, I'm always wondering if I'm making the right choice by sending my kids through HPISD school system. What was your experience when you went here? How do you feel like it prepared you for life?
2: You know, it's funny because one thing that Darren and Aaron both asked me, Darren Star and Aaron Kaplan, the producers on my show, they were like, "You know, we have got to ask you something because you." Acted so cool throughout this whole process. (laughs) You never acted like overwhelmed or intimidated or whatever. And I was like, "Do you know where I grew up?" Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like the original Shark Tank, and I really feel like if you can survive all the games and all the nonsense and all the reindeer games and the pettiness and all that, and they do push you and they do encourage you and make you strive to be your very best, and they're not kidding with that. You know, go forth and serve. I mean, they mean it, and it's really. still I haven't been real pleased with a lot of the faculty choices that they've made probably in like the last 10 years I think they're really lagging you Mm -hmm. know in some of that area and I hope that they recover from that because I think they still can but it's just a real wholesome environment to raise your children but your kids are going to school with the children of titans of an industry and so many and it was so funny because I when I'd hear a familiar last name I automatically think oh Bezos. Oh, so your dad owns Amazon. I mean, you just assume. Right. You know? <laughs> and then I got out in the real world and I was like, oh, not like, everybody's no, I'm just Greek. Yeah. Not everybody's parents own a major corporation. That was like the biggest shocker to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: So. Well, speaking of that, so you raised your family here and you were raised here, but you're like a rock and roll wife, really, or a musician's wife. Yeah. And right I know I want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. We want to, so how was That must have been different. It was to awesome. Be that living in Highland Park and raising your girls.
2: You know, it's really funny because I have a Son Austin twenty seven and then Lauren's twenty two, and when Rudy and I met, we met through a mutual friend. And I'd been married once for like fifteen minutes. Mother called it my party, and I <laughs> um, got married at Holland Park Pres and yeah, you know, reception at the mansion and the whole nine yards. And ninety days later, it was like no, neither one of us really meant it. You know? right. <laughs> and then five years later, Rudy and I married. Mm-hmm. But between my first and second marriage, I remember looking around, going, "Is this it? I mean, is this really what my wife's going to be looking forward what, to? The next black tie event." no, this can't be it. Yeah, And it really kind of started to depress me thinking, I mean, I did want to raise my children there, but I didn't want to just do that and nothing else really. And then right after that, a mutual friend introduced me to Rudy, and we started dating. And... I always thought that I'd marry somebody from the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, stay in the neighborhood. And then when he and I married, I moved to Nashville Mm -hmm. because he was gone like 250 days a year. But I literally went from living in the middle of Highland Park to living in the middle of a 250-acre farm in the middle of Brentwood, Tennessee, which is like Plano, Texas. Yes. And I remember thinking the first time he left for six weeks, thinking, what have I done? (laughs) But it was a ton of fun. They were real close to President Bush, 41 and 43. Mm -hmm. So we were doing a lot of stuff at the White House and Camp David and Kenny Bunkport and just stuff that you don't get to do. You know, I mean, it was really extraordinary. And one thing growing up around, quote unquote, successful people my whole life, I knew that there were. A lot of things that I got to do that money couldn't buy. Yes. You had to have the talent, the achievement, the whatever you wanna call it, whether you were an athlete, an entertainer, a singer, whatever it was, it didn't matter how much money you had, you couldn't break into certain groups and certain situations with all the money in the world. It was gonna require what my ex husband had, you know. And then sometimes his talent or all the talents of people he knew It wasn't going to cut it. You were going to have to be a billionaire to be in that category of that. Right. So it was interesting, the contrast.
1: No, I mean, I have said this to you before, but I grew up in a bubble on the Upper East Side, Mm -hmm. and it was similar. I mean, I grew up with everybody you can imagine. Everybody owned everything. Exactly. And I will say I feel the same way. I can totally relate to what you're saying, because when I went to college, I was like an old person compared to other people. I had already been through all that in high school. You've so, experienced all that already. Yeah. yeah. But nothing was going to get me into Hollywood. Exactly. I did that on my own. Yeah. I didn't have that. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: <laughs> almost an advantage if you're, you you know, live under a bridge and live in the car with your mom, like Jewel or whatever, exactly. when you go to Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Make some root for the underdog. It's like you lived on the Upper East it's Side. True. Oh, you yeah. don't it's really like, want to work.
1: Oh, you didn't grow up in the car. You weren't <laughs> homeless. Whatever. <laughs> we don't like your backstory. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the show because your incredible book. Good Christian Bitches became a TV show produced by Darren Starr and Aaron Kaplan. Mm-hmm. So how did it all come about?
2: It was crazy. I was really fortunate in the fact that all these people who reached out to me over the years wanting to interview my ex-husband or one of his brothers or... My cousin, Angie Harmon, I was always very nice to the PR people who reached out to me. And my policy with them was I'm never going to say no for you. And if I don't pass this information along, then I've said no for you. You know, once you've got the information, you do with it whatever you want. But I was always so nice to these people. And when I tell you, it paid off in spades because they couldn't have been kinder to me. When my book came out, people wrote about it. it shouldn't have really written about it, but they were just good to me. You know, right. And it was truly a God thing. That the issue of Newsweek that had Obama on the cover the week before the presidential election, the year he won, the first yes. year he won. The guy who was the editor at Newsweek at the time had grown up in Holland Park. And they don't do book reviews in Newsweek, but he put me in Periscope, the little Q&A yes. column, mm-hmm. you know, on like page four. And my phone blew up from people on the West Coast. And I met with everybody from the people who'd done Ugly Betty to Two and a Half Men to – the tutors on Showtime. Um, I met with all these people. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have anything other than a desire to see it move forward if it could. And I would literally stand on the other side of the door and I put my hand on the doorknob and I think, okay, they can't eat me and I might learn something. And I'd literally right. walk in there <laughs> and meet with these people. And it was always like ten of them and one of me. And you know, half the time they're like, "Well, here, sign this." I'm like, "Oh no, really, I can't." And finally, Patrick Swayze was a really good friend of my ex husband's, mm-hmm. and Patrick was sick but was still with us and. I told his assistant that I didn't know what to do with all these people and all this. And he was like, let me call my lawyer and see if he'll take you on as a client. Well, he had like Queen Latifah, Courtney Cox. You know, it was like wow. what, it was like Sesame Street. What name does not fit here?
1: You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so he was
2: kind enough to take me on as a client. He took me to his friend at William Morris, who she literally had no less than 300 manuscripts laying around her office. And I think what I did right was self-publish my book. It was almost like my calling card. And I met with her at 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. She said, I'm going to take your book home this weekend and read it, and I'll let you know Monday morning if I'm going to represent you. And she called me Monday morning and said, I can't wait to represent you. Wow, that's
1: such a great story. But were you homeless and living in a car? No, (laughs) unfortunately. I am now.
0: (laughs) So, Kim, I want to hear about Darren Star. Most of us don't get the pleasure of getting to hang out with him and hobnob with him like you do. Do you have any good stories?
2: He is the kindest person, truly. We had some trouble when my show got canceled. It was like behind-the-scenes stuff that I still can't talk about, only because he asked me not to, and I'm not kidding. And, you know, Darren's a powerful guy. He's an influential guy. He's a successful guy. And he really taught me a lesson about taking the high road mm-hmm. you know because that's just how he wanted it and so i however wanted to take all my kids giant disney animals out yeah. to the gun range and blow them all up and put it on youtube <laughs> and duren wasn't having it
1: there's still time for that <laughs> yeah exactly it's not too late i still have reason. them They're let's still go do it attic. now like, where <laughs> Does Darren Starr know that I call you Candace Bushnell on steroids? I'm no, he saying. doesn't. But okay. everybody's going to know
2: one day because I've already got my family to agree. They're going to put it on my epitaph and they're going to give you credit for it.
1: Because okay. <laughs> I love that. That's so, my
2: favorite thing anybody's ever called me.
0: So there may be some people that don't know who Darren Starr is. Can you tell us who Darren Starr is? Darren
2: Starr was the creator of Sex and the City, but mm-hmm. he also came up under Aaron Spelling, the guy who did Dallas right. and Dynasty mm-hmm. and all these huge mm-hmm. shows. And he did Melrose Place, he did Beverly Hills 90210, he did tons of great shows. And so it was really funny because I met with him on a Thursday afternoon. I had a week of meetings, like five meetings a day by myself that William Morris had set up with me. And they always pitch it to their own clients first right. to try to keep it in-house. And there's a benefit to that. Nellie probably understands it better than I do. But when everybody's with the same agency, it matters to them. Yeah. And at the time, Aaron Kaplan was Darren Starr's agent. Now, Darren, he left William Morris. GCB was the first show that he produced because he always knew the real money was on the content side. Mm -hmm. And so even though he had people who would murder him for his job for 15 years, as head of television at William Morris, (laughs) he left to go get into the content side. And he always has like 10 shows on the air at at a time. So it clearly definitely worked out for him. But I met with him on a Thursday afternoon. And when I was leaving, and he was asking me real questions. I knew he had read my whole book and not just the summary that the agency had sent around by the questions he was asking me. Mm -hmm. And I was so tired. He asked me this one question about a character and he said, I can't think of her name right now. Well, I'd worked with a ghostwriter because I was really trying not to hand anybody their head in my book because I thought if I did, I wouldn't any better than they were. So I had my ghostwriter name my characters and I ended up changing most of them and the original name for the character was Veronica, which I changed to Heather, Mm -hmm. but I literally could not think of her name. To save my life, all I could remember was Veronica. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, this guy doesn't think I'd even write this book myself. (laughs) And I said, oh my God, I'm so tired right now. I can't even tell you my children's names. And he goes, yeah. I believe that. He goes, I've been trying to see you since Monday. And I was like, you have? So when I was leaving, I just said, he wants want me at the door. And I got like three steps away from the door. And I turned around to him, and I go, can I just tell you something? And he goes, yeah. And I go, thank you so much for asking to see me. And I said, you have no idea how validating it is for me. And I said, if nothing ever happens with this for me, I just can't tell you what this means to me to have met with you. And he goes, oh, you'll hear from me again. And he called the next Monday morning and made an offer on my deal.
1: It's incredible. And I love that story because how gracious you are. And people appreciate that. I mean...
2: You know, people ask me all the time, what's the key to, to doing well with people in Hollywood? I tell people all the time, it's manners and thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Mean the world to people. I mm-hmm. wrote a handwritten thank you note to every single person I've met with. Yeah. And it's like, people forget stuff like that anymore. People just, I guess, with everything being electronic now and... and it's kind
0: and of a lost art, it seems like. Yeah, really. really but they
2: really appreciate it. I think they can detect a grateful heart and genuine gratitude. And yeah. I think they knew that I really was... Grateful that they were taking me on this ride and that they left me involved in it. So often they'll option an an author's book and then go, Thank you very much for playing our game. And you know, you get a check in the mail, but you never hear from them again. You know,
1: exactly. So,
2: and the fact that they never treated me like I was an outsider or none of that.
1: Yeah. Well, your show is coming back.
2: It is. Yeah. It's a miracle.
0: <laughs> Tell
1: us about that. No, it's not a miracle. It should never have left. You're so sweet. It was a mistake. It should
0: never have <laughs> left. I'm so lucky to have a second chance, and I'm so happy.
2: Thank you. You know, it's so funny, though, because people look at me, and they're like, you get this doesn't happen, right? And I'm like, yeah, I get that it doesn't happen. It's just, it's crazy.
1: How did it happen? Did they call you? How, how did you hear about it? You know
2: what? The girls, call, and Jennifer Aspen, whom I adore, she played Sharon Peachum in the show. Yes. And then Kristen Chenoweth, who was Carlene. I was sitting at home one day and my phone rang and it was them. They had been together all weekend and they said we were talking and we just really feel like with all the options that are out there now with Amazon Video, Netflix, Hulu, all that, there's other options for the show that weren't available to us when we got canceled and we just wanted to call and see if you would be on board for us trying to do this again. And I was like, okay, well, in the first place, I can die now because it's not like you're a bunch of -of out-of-work actresses. So I know you have such a heart for my girls, and I love that. Yes, yes. And I said, you know, I'm all for it. Are you kidding? And they were like, okay, what do you think we should do? And I was like, I'm sitting in Dallas, Texas, and you're calling me from L.A. saying, what should we do? (laughs) (laughs) And I told them, I said, the last thing Aaron Kaplan said to me was, I hope our paths cross again and again and again. And I'd never heard that expression before, and I thought it was really cute. And I was like... Why not call him and just make sure he meant it, you know? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he did. And so he had that meeting with the guy at the CW, and they're going to cast it younger this time. Mm-hmm. But we're working on having the original cast come back in as bosses, neighbors, aunts, yeah. that kind of thing, just to involve them because clearly they can't be the main cast like they were before because CW is Excuse younger, yeah, yeah it's it so does. much younger, mm-hmm. yeah. So
1: and it's going to be shot in Austin. Correct. In
2: Austin, okay. Texas, do you yeah. love it? I think I it's do. fabulous. I know I, I do too.
1: I think it's great because Austin's <laughs> kind of becoming a little bit like a, a little studio town.
2: Well, and it's so much closer to Dallas, and you yeah. know, you're familiar with that red eye flight from L. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I just took it. Yes, I know you
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Austin's kind
1: of a younger, hipper group of people there, anyways.
2: I just love keeping it in the family, you know.
1: Tell us – I just have to ask this. Tell us a really weird story about Darren Starr, something funny, because he just seems hysterical to me.
2: He's a scream. He really is, and just so kind. Let's see. What can I tell you about Darren that's funny? What I think is funny is he just got a huge kick out of me for some reason. You know some people you just really – all w- do. Well, register well <laughs> on their –
0: You're pretty darn funny. <laughs> but
2: I just register really well on his people barometer is yes. what I like to tell people. But he and I – he came to visit, and I was driving around town giving him the Insider's Chamber of Commerce tour – and something came up at the time. My parents owned a bunch of Hooters restaurants, <laughs> and he had met my mother, who's like, you know, she's very elegant and very poised and very – you would never dream in a million years my mother would ever darken the door of a Hooters restaurant. Most but she works at one. one now, right? Yeah, yeah she works. Okay. She's, she's the hostess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we don't own them anymore, but we did back then. And Darren just got the biggest kick out of that, that my mother owned them, actually. My parents didn't own them. My mother did. And so he ended up writing it into an episode. That's where Boobalicious came from in yeah. the show.
1: That was a great so, Yeah. <laughs> he, but
2: he has a great sense of humor. He's so much funnier than people realize.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. I think he's hysterical. Yeah. I just everything about him. But I can imagine his eyes bulging out when you told him that because you're the society <laughs> girl raised in the Park so right. It's just not a fit. <laughs> Kim, will be right back. We have so many more questions for you and so much more to talk about after the short break. Oh, good. Martha and I would like to personally thank all of the fans of the Bubble Lounge podcast. We
0: truly appreciate the feedback people like Sherry and Kathy and so many others have given to us.
1: Your support encourages us week after week to keep the Bubble Lounge podcast going. It is women like you that make our community special. And if you enjoy this show, please help us spread the word on social media.
0: Whether you use Facebook or Nextdoor Instagram, please take a moment and share it with your friends. Your help means a lot to us.
1: So many women in the neighborhood have told us how much they have enjoyed this podcast and with your help we can share the show with many more.
0: Welcome back from the break we're here with Kim Gatlin and Kim you literally burst the bubble by outing all the behind the scenes things that go on in this neighborhood. All that
2: bad behavior. Yeah exactly. (laughs) So
0: cut through that BS give us some
2: scoop. Well it's easier for me to share about that now that I don't have children there anymore. The hardest thing for me to watch was the I call them bully moms They were way worse than their kids. And you wonder where the children learn that. Well, that's what they're having modeled for them at home. I used to tell my friends all the time, your children aren't deaf mutes. They hear you talk on the phone to your girlfriends. And, you know, the ones that used to kill me, they picked their children up from carpool and they wouldn't miss a beat on the phone with their girlfriend. I'm like, how about you hang up and talk to your children, ask them how was your day? Yeah. You know, but so many of them are just so caught up in that positioning and they're always jockeying for position and they're always posturing with the quote unquote right people. Well, I've got news for you. That can shift with the wind. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to worry about your kids, your own marriage, And what's going on behind your own front door? And there's way too many people, I hate to say this, but the problem is there's stuff going on behind their front door that they're hoping is never going to be found out. Mm -hmm. So they're always going to shine the light on somebody else and keep you interested in what's going on with somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's just a game they play. And really and truly, you got to figure out who your really best girlfriends are, who you can really trust, who's got your back, who can you really call if you can't get out of bed. I mean, I know that we can all count on one hand the number of times that we've been too sick to care for our own children. But it's going to happen eventually. If you've got a husband that travels like I had, you've got to know who you can call, Mm -hmm. who you can really trust. People think it's so funny. They think their help doesn't talk to the other help. Are you kidding? That's all they do is go sit at the park and talk to the other nannies about you know. Yeah, my, it's like
1: my we, nanny tells stories all the time,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they are a good source of information. My
1: nanny's like on the outskirts, so she doesn't get all that. Story. I was going to say you want <laughs> one that doesn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: But you know, you don't find out that Mister So and So has been sleeping on the couch for two months by accident. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> I used to threaten mine
2: all the time. It's like don't talk to any of them. Do you understand me? <laughs> don't even say hi on the sidewalk. <laughs>
1: Tell me a funny story about. People, somebody told me the story about you saying, Oh, I know somebody lives across the street from you, Uh and they told me they became friends with you Uh and did not realize who you were. And you made a comment once saying, well, that's because I just dress like the help now. If I'm like not, if I'm not going out, whatever, you send that to somebody. And they were I know gonna... who you're talking about. And she didn't. And she figured it out when
2: she saw my daughter walking my dog.
1: Yeah, <laughs> She uh, was like, wait, your mom's
2: getting I was in disguise.
0: <laughs> so some of the things you said earlier made me think of a question that I've always wondered about women. What is it in our DNA that makes women want to talk about each other and gossip and make up rumors?
2: you know it's really funny i think if we had the answer to that question we could all just retire and buy our own island it's true but me you and know, my mother pits it really well my mom is 76 and she's so beautiful and very poised. And, you know, she did all the charity work and all the, you know, she had all the right friends and did all the, She went through a situation about five years ago that was worse than any middle school mean girl thing I've ever seen You've go down in my kidding. life. No. And I used to think, oh, my God, I've got such hope that women grow out of this. And they really don't. I mean, that's either who they are or they're not. And one of the things that I learned on my journey was that it was OK to recategorize my friends. Mm-hmm. I used to think that. If I didn't let a person back into my life at the same place they were in before there was a problem, that I was being insincere about forgiving them and that I wasn't really owning my heart, that I was not doing them right by not letting them back in where they were. And all you're doing is setting yourself up to be disappointed again. Right. When someone show you who they are, it's that old, Mm -hmm. you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. If they have to be in the third circle of your friendship instead of your inner circle, that's okay. You can still love them and you can still be their friend. Right. But you're clearly not going to put yourself in a position to be on the receiving end because really and truly, if that's who they are, that's who they
1: are. Yeah, they'll show that again. Mm -hmm, They will. You know, there's I was just thinking about something, which is growing up in New York. Mm -hmm. I call it cocktail party talk. And Mm -hmm. I want to know if you know what I'm talking about. You go to a party and I feel the same way sometimes when you go to certain parties. Parties in the bubble. Within three minutes... Or maybe two lines. You know everything about that person: mm-hmm. how much money they have, where they grew up, where they have houses, where their kids. Literally, they learn to do it, and my husband gets really mad because I can do it back. Right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be like, so when I was at Yale, and then I am and and I'm like, okay, I did it in two sentences. Okay. And he's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, because. Because yeah, clearly that's it. what interests them. Yeah, and I just want to know.
2: I want him to see I can give it right back. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I totally get it. It's
1: like a skill. Yeah, it is. I love reading about when you talk about renters versus owners of uh-huh. Park City. <laughs> oh, Tell us about yeah. that. How do, how do some other people distinguish that?
2: You know, I wrote about it in my book because it's so silly. It's like, oh, you know, she's renting. <laughs>
0: <You> know? <laughs> you know, and I've heard people say that. Oh, of course you I have. Know. We of were renting when we first moved here. I
1: heard it, oh. too. <laughs> and, well, and they do. And
2: I was like, you know, you live in a house that your parents still pay for and you're 40. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how is that better? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, there's all these rules. And then when you get that person at a cocktail party it's like you can really stir them up by saying yeah and you wouldn't know a green street sign versus blue street sign conversation if you walked in the mm-hmm. middle of it you know and they're kind of like what you know? you're like okay oh, park street, street park signs park are blue and, okay, I university to park it. are I green yeah, I, 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 that's awesome martha
1: was keeping up yeah no, they have the same thing kind of like in new york it's i grew up in park avenue so it's sort of like if you're on Park, Madison, or Fifth, you're over here. Uh huh. If you're living on First Avenue, it's not the same thing. Oh, hey, can I just tell you, <laughs> when I grew up here,
2: if you didn't live between Preston and Hillcrest, you were in the ghetto section. Uh-huh. Nobody cared that you were still
1: the in the house. Oh, I yeah. get that. I yeah, get yeah that. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh. I mean, you were truly in the ghetto section. And now they knock down a house every week and they build a, a big, big mansion. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: but you mentioned rules, and I have seen it constantly. And I always said that somebody, and I think it's going to be Nellie, and I need to write the rule book of Highland Park because there's so many unscathed Said rules. How are you supposed to keep up with them, and how are you supposed to know what they are?
2: Okay, I promised I wasn't going to do this. I'm going <laughs> to tell y'all something that's been the biggest secret for years. Tell us. I was going to do it anonymously. Uh-huh. I literally, the author of this book was going to be three girls in Nevada wine, and yeah. I've been sober as a judge for 38 years. So who's going to think that was me? And I, <laughs> yeah. And all my friends are like, Kim, this in primary colors. It's so obvious. You know, your writing style and your humor is so obvious. You don't have to put your name on this. Everybody's going to know you did it. But so I've written this book called Bubble Wrap, and it's R A P. Yeah, and it's it's everything you need to know about living in the bubble that's exactly
0: what I that's want. amazing it's
2: really ugly though i've got i mean like sense of humor wise yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of scathing in some parts so now that i'm going to put my name on it i gotta lighten it up <laughs> i mean everything from don't go to somebody's funeral you don't know just so you can go back to the office and have people look at you and go i should have known you know them yes <laughs> i mean it's just yeah you, know? <laughs> you know and you know leave your neighbor's husband alone i mean it's a, a big beautiful world out there with billions of people you don't need to sleep with your next-door neighbor's husband, <laughs> you know? And that happens so much because we're not trading up for double wides over here. The stakes are so much higher. Yes. So you run into that a lot, and it's really a problem because your children know that you're the lady that was sleeping with their dad when they were in the fifth grade. Yeah, you know? or the tennis coach,
1: or the something. Or, or his
2: football coach, yes.
1: you know? I mean, oh. <laughs> well, and you were getting more playtime.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, you
2: what you a t- coincidence.
0: You took our gig, but this sounds like an amazing <laughs> book, and I can't wait to well, read it. we can
2: it. still do Three Girls in Nevada one. Okay, okay, okay I girls. like
0: that. The <laughs> other two
2: girls. I need newcomers' perspectives too. Okay, you know you're always new to the neighborhood. No matter if you've lived here 50 years, if you didn't grow up here, you're yes. still new here. Oh yeah, Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's
1: like going through rush.
2: It's worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like rush. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much we for cannot wait me. to see the new show. I can't wait to read you bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Come back. Come back and tell us about that. I'd love to. I okay. <laughs> I feel
0: like we need to have a second session with you. It's been so it. fun. Thank you. So that's been our episode of the Bubble Lounge. I'm Martha Jackson.
1: And I'm Nellie Shudo.
0: And we'll catch you next week.